Hello, my rebels. You are listening to a free audio-only recording of my show. It's called The Ezra Levant Show. Today, we zero in on a propaganda day called World Hijab Day. It is an Islamist attempt to rebrand the one-woman body bags, the chastity belts for the face called hijabs and the cabs and shador, to rebrand that as some progressive, cool fashion. It's a disgraceful day. I show you first how the CBC is enforcing World Hijab Day by trying to get some guy fired who mildly criticized it. And then we'll talk to a woman who used to wear a hijab, was forced into it by her husband, but is now free and is promoting no hijab day. Uh, if you like listening to this podcast, and I hope you do, then you would love watching, and I really think so, because we show you things with your eyes. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber. We call it premium content. It's what we call our long-format TV-style shows on The Rebel. There's me, there's my friend Sheila Gunn-Reed, there's my friend David Menzies. Subscribers get access to watching all these. And it's a bargain, you know? It's, uh, I think it's a bargain. It's eight bucks a month. It's a subscriber. You could subscribe for the whole year. You get two months free. Uh, and just for podcast listeners, save a few bucks, get 10% off of that. Uh, just use the coupon code podcast when you subscribe. You can do all that at therebel.media slash shows to become a member. And please leave a friendly review of this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews, believe it or not, they help spread the word and you don't even have to spend a dime to do it. All right, enough preamble. Enjoy this free audio-only version of my TV show. Tonight, two years ago, a pro-refugee social worker wrote a Facebook comment saying Muslim women wearing a face-blocking niqab should integrate. Today, the CBC wants him fired. It's February 1st, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're the biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is government the CBC really isn't a news organization. I mean, sure, they do tell you some news, but that's not their primary function. Their primary function is that of a state broadcaster to run the government's official message track. When they're talking about something like, say, the sports or weather, it's pretty straight. But when they're talking about politics, they are reflecting the will of the paymaster who controls them, Justin Trudeau. They're a full-time, around-the-clock campaign ad. <laughs> Come to think of it, even their sports and weather coverage is pretty politicized, whether it's global warming or the take-a-knee race-baiting in the NFL. CBC's the worst. But the rest of the Canadian media are catching up thanks to Trudeau's $595 million bailout, but you've got to check out this story today from the CBC. It is not even a real news story. I mean, it's not fake news, and it's not a, it's not a fabrication. They're not outright lying, but it's not newsworthy. It's not real journalism. It's a little political campaign, a little cautionary tale, make an example out of someone that serves the interests of Justin Trudeau and the Liberal government in this campaign year. It serves as an infomercial, in this case, for World Hijab Day, the Islamist celebration of the subjugation of women. Um, let me read the headline to you, the story. Head of Alberta Newcomer Agency under fire for social media post on face veils. 
And then you can see the little subheadline there. Full face covering in public is a notch too far, Frank Bauer wrote on Facebook in 2017. Ha! Well, get a rope. <laughs> uh, clearly, we got to hang this guy. So it's just what it looks like. Look at that, look at that smiling guy there. What a friendly guy, Frank Bauer. He's a social worker. Um, he loves refugees, by the way. It's what he does all day, every day. His job is to integrate refugees into society. I mean, for heaven's sake, look what his organization is called. It's called CARE, which stands for Central Alberta Refugee Efforts. He's been the boss there since 2013. And for a couple of years before that, he had other pro-refugee positions, including volunteer coordinator. So this guy would literally go around Red Deer, Alberta, and tell people they should come and work for free to help integrate refugees into Canada. He himself is an immigrant. I think he's from Holland. You really can't get any friendlier than this guy. I imagine he's helped hundreds of refugees over the years if he's been there for almost a decade. So what does that mean to help them? Well, getting them jobs, getting them housing, getting them into schools, helping them learn English, just showing them how to live and work in Canada, how to dress in the cold, how to use our banking system, stuff like that. But you see, he wrote something on Facebook in 2017. That's the headline here. Now, it was in public. It was in a debate about integration. It was a respectful, polite conversation. But he had an opinion that Justin Trudeau's enforcers don't like. Here's what he said. Before I read this, understand this is part of a friendly, positive, solutions-oriented discussion amongst pro-refugee people. He was weighing in on a real question that many Canadians talk about. Okay, I'll just read it. What a good and at the same time difficult topic to bring up for discussion. Indeed, where is the line in the sand on welcoming and uh, accepting people and immigrants making concessions on adapting and in some ways conforming to the new country they find themselves in? Like, let me stop there. That's a, that's a good question, isn't it? I mean, the question, it's, it's, it's a real question. What is the line between how much do we have to conform to them and how much do they have to conform to us? And, and look at how gently he's weighing in. And he indicates it's a difficult subject. But he's the leader of this pro-refugee group, so he wants to set the tone about how to talk about it, being respectful, but let's talk about it. Uh, I'll keep quoting again. This is just a Facebook post from 2017. I am a strong advocate for being welcoming, inclusive, and respecting all cultures and religions. However, find full face covering in public a notch too far. Yet, so do most people, uh, not just in Canada, but around the world. Many Muslim countries, by the way, have banned the full face obscuring burqas and niqabs. Egypt just did. So has France, the great liberal republic. And by the way, according to this massive Angus Reid survey, 70%, 77% of Canadians want the burqa banned, at least amongst the public service. Um, that's the red line there. This is the burqa. This is what we're talking about. I think that's, I don't even know what that's called. But, you know, seriously. Yeah, look at that. That's the niqab. He's talking about this too. Same Angus repulse shows that 75% of Canadians want to bend in a cab. So, yeah, yeah, it's a discussion. I mean, actually, it's not even much of a discussion. We all agree. Those aren't good. Now, this guy, remember, he's a pro-refugee advocate who has given a decade of his life to serving refugees, to help them fit in and to be successful in Canada. And he wants to talk about it in a respectful way. But the CBC will not have it. I'll finish reading his post. He says... 
I would not feel comfortable in conversations, no matter what the topic is, and believe this is an area where newcomers need to respect and adapt themselves to Canadian culture and norms. And that's it. That's it. That's the whole Facebook post from two years ago. Imagine asking refugees who are living off our avails to show us some respect. That's outrageous. What a racist. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I mentioned today is the Islamist propaganda event called World Hijab Day, where Muslim extremists try to normalize putting women in little one-person body bags, like little chastity belts for the face. And so the CBC has dredged up this two-year-old Facebook post, completely polite, from years ago, and they're going to try and get this guy fired. Like I said, it's a state broadcaster. That's a real state broadcaster move. A government journalist at the CBC, working for Justin Trudeau, tattled about this social worker to the government bureaucrats, at the Citizenship and Immigration Department working for Justin Trudeau. I'm sorry, that is not journalism, that is activism. It's not even activism, it's just trying to get a guy fired because you don't like him. Let me quote from the story. Immigration, Refugee and Citizenship Canada said it had not been made aware of any incidents prior to CBC's inquiry, but planned to meet with CARE on the matter. The department is providing $3.7 million to CARE over three years ending in 2020. So not a single real person complained about this. Of course not. So the CBC complained. You just saw it there, the CBC, they're not reporting the news. They've created the news here. They are the ones ginning up a controversy where obviously there was none. No one thought to tattle to Trudeau to cut off the money. No one thought to pressure Trudeau to punish this refugee group and jeopardize its funding, which means obviously they're gonna fire this guy to preserve their funding because like the CBC reporter, a bizarre woman named Andrea Hunsar, I'll tell you more about her in a moment. Um, look, everyone here involved works for Justin Trudeau because they get paid for, by Justin Trudeau. So they dance to whatever tune is sung by Justin Trudeau. Uh, so one Trudeau thug is trying to get another Trudeau thug to fire someone who has dedicated his whole life to actually helping refugees because he had a wrong think on Facebook two years ago because he said maybe Muslim refugee women ought not to cover their faces because they're free now. And look at how the thugs in Trudeau's immigration department responded. IRCC, that's Immigration and Refugee Canada, works with all service provider organizations, it funds, to ensure the programs and services are delivered in a safe and secure environment wrote spokesperson Nancy Curran. Oh, wow. So the fact that the leading refugee advocate in central Alberta said maybe Muslim women shouldn't dress like they're still in prison. Maybe they can dress like they're free now, not like they're still living in Saudi Arabia or Iran. Ooh, he is now a, did you get that? He is a safety threat. He is a security threat. Maybe we should send a policeman by his house. Well, it is opposite day today. I mean, you have male feminists like Justin Trudeau celebrating World Hijab Day. You have the government saying that Muslim extremism, as evidenced by wearing a niqab, that's not a safety or security threat. By talking about these women in these little prisons, that's a safety and security threat. This is not a real story, of course. This is not news. It's not journalism. It is a campaign by the CBC state broadcaster. It's a thousand-word story. A thousand words. That is an extremely long story these days. I'm not going to read all of them. I'm just going to read some of it. Here's a little bit. I'll go back up to the very top. Go to the very top of the story. 
The head of an Alberta organization for refugees is under fire after publicly suggesting 15 months ago that Muslim women should not fully cover their faces in public. But, but hey, that, even there, that's not really true, is it? He's not under fire from anyone other than the CBC. They're, they're the ones who've lit the fire, didn't they? They're really writing about themselves. They're, they're writing about their own activism and they're pretending it's a thing. So anyways, Bauer obviously got some thought police contacting him months ago. And so he just deleted the post months ago and he went on with his life of helping Muslims integrate into society. But read this. Bauer's post was deleted, but ha-ha, you can't get off so easy, you racist. CBC News recently received a copy along with a letter of concern sent to the provincial government anonymously by some care staff in August 2018. Oh, really? So the CBC has been sitting on this blockbuster story of theirs for six months. That's how urgent it is. They've been sitting on it because, like I said, it's their little teachable moment for today's Islamist propaganda day called World Hijab Day. So the CBC quotes an anonymous accuser, and we don't know anything about them. What their angle is, are they a disgruntled former employee? Did they, did they get overlooked for a promotion? But the CBC, we can trust the CBC to be straight. They say, this post has deeply impacted individuals and the morale of the entire organization, states the letter, which was sent last August to David Egan, the cabinet minister tasked with tackling racism in Alberta. Oh, got it. There it is. It's racism. The CBC just tells you, in case you didn't know, that was racism, guys. I mean, obviously, this man who spends his entire life helping refugees integrate, most of whom are visible minorities, he's obviously a racist. And in case you didn't come to that conclusion yourself, they just told you. See what I mean about being a state broadcaster? This is exactly the language that Justin Trudeau and Gerald Butts used to demonize their political enemies. Anyone who's skeptical about radicalism, you're a racist. And so they kept hurling slurs of this anonymous gossip at Bauer. They defame him. They slander him by saying, oh, no, 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 no. No, it's not us saying this. It's um, some anonymous person that we're just going to let them vomit all over this guy uncritically. Let me, let me quote some more. How do you rectify giving funding to an organization that has clearly racist, Islamophobic, and misogynistic views? They were expressed in a public forum. The letter asked. No, the letter didn't ask it. Someone wrote it in a letter, and we're not told who because we don't need to know that. CBC will tell us it's fine. I mentioned Opposite Day because the morality of the CBC and Justin Trudeau and the hijab lovers is inverted. If I were a religious person, I'd call it satanic because their morality is backwards. It's upside down. Imagine calling a man who wants women who come to Canada to be free to show their face in public. Imagine calling such a man misogynistic and saying that, no, 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 the extremist imams who want them kept in their shroud, that's feminism. The CBC is a disgusting disgrace. But hey, uh, good news, guys. Uh, Bauer has been re-educated. Let me quote. In an interview and email exchange with CBC, Bauer said he thought the topic of adaptation was worth an open discussion on the Facebook page at the time, but now admits he made an error. So here's your lesson, you tiny citizens, you nobodies out there. Here's a lesson for you. It is an error to have an open discussion about such things because you will get fired and the state broadcaster will come for you and your job and your reputation. So don't be like Frank Bauer. Don't have a thoughtful conversation, even if it's motivated by, say, wanting Muslim women in Canada to, oh, I don't know, make friends, fit in, 
get a job, try doing that if you're wearing a burqa. So they made Bauer give the full Maoist style self-denunciation. Maybe he thought it would save him. What I did not adequately realize at the time was the occurrence of highly sensitive and often traumatizing experiences of women wearing face covering veils, such as burqa or niqab in Canada and other parts of the world where this is not default in the religious culture. Bauer said, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Frank, look, it, it's, you, can, you can say anything, you can make any apology, but that's not how it works. You know, when Mao had his struggle sessions back in China during the Cultural Revolution and the self-denunciations, these are pictures, from China, obviously. When these people threw themselves on the public and confessed their sins, it didn't spare them. It didn't save them. It simply was used as proof that they were, in fact, evil, as in, obviously, they were guilty of thought crimes. They just confessed. Didn't you see it? But more than that, the whole point was a shocking warning to others not to even think about thinking. Don't you even think about thinking. You know, I saw one photo of the Cultural Revolution where they literally stuffed a glove in the mouth of one man during a show trial to stop him from objecting because he wouldn't get with the program. The CBC would do that to Frank Bauer if they had to. Now, when the CBC tries to get someone fired, they call everyone. I've seen this happen several times. And, and they call up people, pundits, newsmakers, politicians, bureaucrats, and they basically give them a choice. It's not journalism. It's a pressure tactic. They, they ask a question, will you denounce Frank Bauer? And either, either you join this mob that is denouncing Bauer, or you don't. You defend him, and then the mob will come for you too. Think quickly, because I'm writing this story now. Will you join the mob and get Bauer, or will you stand with Bauer and the mob will come for you too? So this Trudeau journalist called pretty much everyone involved in refugee resettlement in Alberta because of a Facebook comment two years ago. That's not journalism. And this kook, this crackpot, demanded with the authority of the state broadcaster that they all go on the record denouncing Bauer. She ginned up the defamation. And many of these people did because they're cowards. But for some reason, some of these people the CBC called, they didn't want Frank Bauer fired. Let me quote one. Sarosh Rizvi executive assistant of Alberta Association of Immigrant Serving Agencies, expressed confidence in Bauer, despite disagreeing with the sentiment of his post. Huh, it's almost as if someone in charge of integrating refugees into Alberta might value someone who has spent his life integrating refugees into Alberta, as opposed to joining the CBC mob led by a bizarre Islamophile reporter trying to suck up to Trudeau. Oh, don't get me wrong. Rizvi still did denounce what Frank Bauer said. He still denounced him. He just didn't want him fired. I mean, look, someone has to actually do the work of getting these people jobs. 90% of Trudeau's Syrians are still unemployed. Most still don't speak English. Many of them are turning to crime, and I'm not even talking about murder and terrorism, as we've seen lately in the news. Now, this reporter, Andrea Hunkar, Hunsar, I don't care how she says it, she's a bit of a weirdo. Here's her Twitter biography. Human rights, immigrant, indigenous issues, justice system, extremism. Previously Juba, Toronto, Regina. She's, she's not a real reporter. She's an activist. And, and as you can see, she reports everything through her radical lens, Marxist lens of grievance mongering. 
There's just no news out there. It's all, oh, you, you offended this person, you offended that person. Now, I've skimmed through her work and that extremism part of her biography. Now, she doesn't mean Muslim extremism. She doesn't mean Muslim terrorists. As you can see, she's in favor of Muslim extremism, including the extremist approach of putting women in body bags. When she says she covers extremism, she doesn't mean Muslim extremism. She means you. That's what she calls people who don't like Muslim terrorists. There really is a Muslim extremist in Alberta. He's a convicted terrorist and war criminal named Omar Khadr. And look at Andrea Hansar here. Her tweets about Khadr again and again. And look at those pictures. I'm sorry. Her tweets about Omar Khadr, they have an erotic feeling to them. I think this freak show has an erotic crush on him, like some other lonely old maids have crushes on serial killers, and you know, they, they write to serial killers in prison and sometimes even get mad. I think this CBC reporter is obsessed in a weird way with violent, misogynistic Muslim men. She loves when women are forced to wear burqas by Muslim men. Or at least she hates when some beta male like Frank Bauer suggests women be free. I, I mentioned her biography. It, it mentioned the city of Juba. That's the capital city of South Sudan, a f miserable failed state in Africa. I'm not sure how to put this other than just to say what I think I see from her work. I, I think she hates white people. But she has the essential white, liberal, soft bigotry of low expectations. So she's fine with misogyny if it's committed by Muslim men against Muslim women. She detests her own culture, but she is fascinated by alien cultures like Juba. I mean, look at this. This is just weird. What's behind the growing popularity of halal meat in Edmonton? Listen, 820, it's on CBC. Yeah, okay, I'm going to guess Muslims. Is that, is that what's behind it? You what an idiot, what a weirdo, what a weirdo, which is why she can so reliably be called upon by Justin Trudeau to do hit pieces on normal Canadians who don't like burqas and don't like mass unvetted Muslim migration from terrorist-soaked countries like Syria. I've never seen her support moderate Muslims, by the way. She just loves the Cotters of the world. Look at this insane fake news story from just last week. Same reporter. Yellow vest protests in Red Deer creating stress for new arrivals to Canada. She doesn't actually call uh, interview, interview someone who has this stress. She interviews other liberals who say that there might be some stress called. Because either way, that's not news, sister. That is your personal diary entry next to you drawing little hearts and your initials A-H plus O-K, Omar Khadr, and just sort of doodling little hearts around that. You put this in your personal diary and you keep it in your hope chest under your, under your bed. That's not journalism. That's a Trudeau fever dream or something. You're a CBC kook. I mean, look. Folks, do you need more proof that the CBC hates you? I mean, of course they hate conservatives. Of course they hate anyone from Alberta, especially Red Deer. And weirdly, they, they hate an immigrant named Frank Bauer who has spent a decade helping Muslim women. They hate him 
probably because he's white, but I think they hate him really because he thinks women should be free from the burqa. That used to be the liberal position, but not anymore. And the CBC want you to know they hate you, and that's the important part. This story really isn't about getting Frank Bauer fired. He's going to be fired. This is about making you fear them. You, not Frank Bauer, he's gone. Because if they can get Frank Bauer fired, and they will by forcing his board to choose between him or $3 million from Trudeau, if they can fire Frank Bauer for a two-year-old Facebook post that was as mild and thoughtful as that one was, well, if they can get him fired, they can get you fired too. So shut up and vote liberal, you bigot. Stay with us for more on this World Hijab Day. Welcome back. Well, if you are anywhere near the corporate media, the social media, you can't miss it. Today is World Hijab Day, where the Muslim uh, head covering, sometimes it also is a face covering in the form of a niqab or a burqa, is celebrated and promoted, including from secular liberal leftists who should know better. Well, in an opposition to World Hijab Day is no hijab day, and in particular, many liberal Muslims or ex-Muslims protest against that face-obscuring veil or hair-obscuring veil that they once were forced to wear. Joining us now live via Skype is one such no-hijab-day activist, our friend Yasmin Mohammed, author of Confessions of an Ex-Muslim. Great to see you again, Yasmin. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ezra. Now, World Hijab Day uh, typically refers to the, the hair covering, which obscures all the hair on the head. Does it also include the face obscuring niqab or chador or burqa or some of those other phrases? Yeah, we generally refer to all of that as hijab because you can't wear the face covering without also the hair covering. Mm -hmm. So when um, when we're talking about no hijab day, we're talking about know any prescribed modesty clothing that are forced upon women against their will. Yeah. You know, it's amazing to me to watch women, particularly in Iran, where they seem to be really chafing against these restrictions put on them by the regime. You see women standing in public holding their hijab on a stick. Uh, I see social media clips all the time of women being confronted by the mutawin, the religious police, and pushing back. Maybe I'm saying mutawin wrong. So I see this great struggle for democracy and women's rights in Iran, where, and that's a tyranny. But in mm -hmm. the West, people who ought to know better are championing what's really a, um, a chastity belt for the face. Absolutely. That's, that's exactly it. You hit the nail on the head. So meanwhile, while women in Saudi Arabia and Iran and Iraq and Kuwait and Egypt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are fighting for their right to be able to wear what they want without their government, societies or families forcing any clothing upon them. Meanwhile, over here in the West, we have free women putting hijabs on their heads in World Hijab Day. So non-Muslim women are being encouraged to wear this. They set up booths across different universities and college campuses, as well as different government buildings. 
and they bring hijabs with them and they encourage non-Muslim women to wear the hijab for a day. So instead of encouraging more people to wear this, what No Hijab Day is talking about is allowing women to take it off if they want to take it off and letting them make that choice. I hear some arguments, uh, and it's clever, from uh, pro-hijab activists who say, well, why are you telling women what they can't wear? You're just as bad as the Ayatollahs. If you're saying no hijabs, you're bossing women around too. Um, mm -hmm. Can you speak to the thesis put by such people that covering up, especially, I mean, I was just reading the other day about an, a woman in Australia and they're having a real heat wave there right now. I mean, it's like 40 mm -hmm. degrees Celsius on what it's like to be outside in Australian 40 degree heat in a black body bag. And, yeah. you know, the idea that this would be a voluntary choice, I find hard to, to believe, but this is the argument of some. What do you make of that? Yeah, and that's Australia. So imagine how hot it is in the Middle East. I lived yeah. in Qatar where it can go upwards of 50 degrees in the summer there. So yeah, searing hot heat, I'm sure these women are not by choice wanting to cover themselves head to toe in black. In fact, I used to teach at a college there where it was quite regular for students to faint, especially in Ramadan. And of course they would, they're not getting enough oxygen. I mean, the, the humidity there, and then they're covering their faces in black fabric as well. So it's, it's dehumanizing, it's oppressing, and it can actually be dangerous for their health as well. And to speak to your earlier point about um, asking women to take off the hijab, I would never do that because I myself, when I chose to take off the hijab, I was threatened with death by my family. Hmm. And as you know, Aksa Parvez, a 16-year-old girl in Mississauga, Ontario, was killed by her family, strangled by her father because she refused to wear the hijab. So I would never ask women to take off their hijabs because I know how dangerous that decision would be. Wow. So that just speaks to how we cannot have opposing protests. Their protest is saying, put on a hijab. I can't say take off a hijab right. because I know that there are women that could potentially be killed for that. So what I'm saying instead is I support those women. I support the women that would be in danger of being abused, tortured, imprisoned, or killed for taking off the hijab. And these women, of course, are Muslim women. They're not non-Muslim women. These are Muslim women that are fighting their own societies, that are fighting the, the patriarchy within their own families, within their own communities, and that want to have the freedom to live. Of course they want to have the freedom to live life freely. All of us do. Why would they be any different? Mm -hmm. You know, I uh, recall reading a statistic that in at least certain parts of Paris, uh, almost 80% of women who wore these coverings, and I know they've since been legislation in France to ban them. Uh, I think the number was 77%, I'd have to Google it, uh, felt a form of compulsion to do so, either the threat of violence, or at the very least, the threat of being expelled from their mosque, the community, even from their husband's home. So the idea that they're making a voluntary choice while under duress, we, we in the West have the concept that you can't agree to something if you don't have free will. If you're, if you're forced to sign a contract with a gun to your head, that's not genuinely your will. It's called compulsion or duress. Um, and the argument I heard was when you, if you were to ban the burqa, 
what you actually do is you empower those 77% of women to say to the bullies in their life who are invariably men, to say, look, I, you know, I'd like to do that, but I can't because the police say I can't. Oh, it's too bad. I can't be bullied by you. Sorry. So it's actually providing a stronger way out for women who on their own would be vulnerable to this pressure. Yeah, I would have loved actually to have been able to say that to my family and to my ex-husband. Like, oh, sorry, can't wear it. It's against the law. Nothing we can do about it. It's not my choice. But at the end of the day, the, when you talk about the violence that these women could be subjected to, yes, there is violence that could happen to them here by their husbands, by their fathers, etc. But then there's also the threat of burning in hell for eternity. So even if you remove the threats here on earth, these women who are indoctrinated, are still going to be feeling like they could potentially burn in hell for the rest of eternity. Now, to talk about the indoctrination a little bit, we, you have to realize that this is put on children. It's put on you as a young girl. And then when you grow up as an adult and you decide to take it off, you don't get that choice. Right. So it, there's really, when we talk about choice, that means you have the choice to put it on and you have the choice to take it off. And as we know from just, I mean, a quick Google search will show you how many women are imprisoned, killed, tortured, abused, stoned, all sorts of horrible things happen to women who take it off. In fact, in the United Kingdom, there's a Muslim woman by the name of Dina Tokyo, and she is a model, and she's a, she's a hijabi model, and she's decided to take off the hijab. And the amount of filth and violence and threats that have been thrown in her direction, she has a video on YouTube where she does nothing but just read the hate. Wow. And that video is almost an hour long. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. And, of course, uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure we will not see support for uh, those women as we do uh, in many other cases. You know, there's, um, there's a concept in the left, and I don't usually use it, but, but it's an effective argument that the left uses. They call it false consciousness. And what they, the first time I heard that phrase was, hey, workers of the world, when, when you're happy in this capitalist system, that's false consciousness. You're just being taught to be happy with material goods and your place in the economy. You should think of yourself as Marxist proletariat. Don't be lulled into this happy dream by false consciousness that you're part of the capitalist economy. That's the first time I heard the phrase false consciousness. It's people saying you're not really happy. Don't pretend you're someone you're not. And I would use that Marxist idea that I believe that some women who say, I love the hijab, I'm freed by the hijab, I, it's the best thing I do is wear the hijab, maybe some mean it, but I think many of them it's a false consciousness where they, where they, they say that to feel safe. They say that because, like you say, they've been brainwashed since they were girls. They say that because to say otherwise would mean alienating their entire family and perhaps being left destitute and alone. So I think that, I mean, I don't want to look a grown woman in the eye and say you don't mean what you're saying, but if you're under duress and if your whole life will crumble, if you take off a cage from your face, yeah, that's false consciousness. You're not happy, sister. You're not happy in 40 degree heat wearing a black box. 
Yeah, you just start to convince yourself because that you because you don't see another option. I actually wanted to tell you a little story to to support your hypothesis there. Last year during World Hijab Day at a university, there was a booth set up where a girl was trying to get a non-Muslim woman to wear the hijab, and the non-Muslim woman refused. She said, "No, I don't want to wear that. That's a tool of misogyny, and there are women that are being imprisoned and killed for wearing that. Why would I?" actively put that on my head. And so the girl, the Muslim girl that was trying to force it on the non-Muslim girl cried Islamophobia and in fact tried to get that girl expelled. They had a petition going online and they had this big Twitter, you know, pile on where they were trying to get that young student expelled. I know exactly what you mean. Janaya, I think is her name. And I think She's in the United Kingdom. Um, I know exactly what you mean. We'll have to dig up that. Uh, that yeah. So what I wanted to mention was that that Muslim girl, the one who um, who tried to bully the other student today, she doesn't wear a hijab. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Well, you know what? God bless the West. Hey, Yasmin, <laughs> it's such a pleasure to talk with you about this. You're so thoughtful. And of course, you've lived this experience. Um, I really enjoy having you on the show. And I know we have you on every few months. I like following you on Twitter because you're really, it looks like you're really spreading your ideas and you're making strong allies. Can you give our viewers who are fans, I'm a super fan. What can I say? You know, we, we <laughs> love uh, what you're doing. We were excited about the books you've written. I know you met with Ian Hersia Lee. I think I saw you with Claire Lehman of Quillette. Uh, she's a she's a rebel alumna. I don't know if you know that. Uh, Claire used to do videos with us. Uh, I'm just a fan. Give our viewers who are also fans an update on some of your successes in the last few months. Well, you know, Rahaf Muhammad al Kanun, who just came into Toronto, took up a lot of this past month of mine because uh, everybody's been really excited about her coming into Canada. And um, <clears throat> she's the young girl who escaped from Saudi Arabia, who is barred in the in the hotel in Thailand. And also now Asya Bibi is coming to Canada. Oh, and we're right, very excited right, about that. Right, right. Yeah. from Pakistan. She was the That's right. Christian woman who was sentenced to, to death, actually, for blasphemy. That's, that is yeah. good news. You know, that, that is, is good, good news. news. So let's, let's mark good news. Sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going. No, no, no. You're absolutely correct. She was the blasphemy that she that she did, by the way, was to drink from the same well as Muslims. <clears throat> so when she drank from the same well as Muslims, they said that you have tainted the water oh because you're Christian. Oh my God, that's un unbelievable. Yeah, and so she got sentenced to death for that. But um, yeah, I, I work a lot with my um, organization, <clears throat> sorry, my organization, Free Hearts, Free Minds. Mm -hmm. And um, that is a program that helps people that have left Islam but are still stuck in Muslim-majority countries, especially one of the countries where they could be executed for leaving the religion, so people like Rahaf. And um, so I've been having a lot of success with that program, and I encourage your viewers to go to Free Hearts, Free Minds and to read some of the testimonials of people that we've helped, and if they are able and willing to click on the donate button and support us. Sure, what's the website for that? It's www.freeheartsfreeminds.com. All right. Well, we'll put that up on the screen and encourage our people to visit. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. Let me ask you one last question. And I'm, I'm worried because I think I know the answer. Um, we've talked about some of the people you've met with. Have you had any success in what's typically called the mainstream media? CTV, CBC, Global Mail, Toronto Star, the big 
papers. I mean, we're a little bit edgy here at The Rebel. I'm sure you get some flack for even talking to us. Um, <laughs> and Quillette, they're also dissidents a little bit. And I and Hersey Alley, a bit of a dissident. Have any mainstream media given you a form? I hope your answer is yes, but I fear it's no. Actually, my answer is yes. I've had some uh, mainstream media exposure in Australia, oddly enough, <laughs> ABC in Australia, and CTV just contacted me recently, so I might be going on there. I did go on CBC, BBC, um, New York Times, et cetera, et cetera, lots of uh, I guess what would be considered left-leaning media to talk about uh, Rahaf Muhammad. Mm -hmm. So she has been able to open that door um, and allow this conversation to start happening, talking about just the massive level of oppression of women in the, in the Middle East and North Africa. So mm -hmm. I'm happy to say that that conversation, it looks like it's starting, it's starting now. People are starting to have that conversation. Well, that's a more hopeful answer than I was expecting. I'm really glad to hear it. Well, Yasmin, what a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today on No Hijab Day. Uh, the others can celebrate World Hijab Day, but we, and especially you who were forced to wear it, know the truth. Take care, my friend, and stay safe. Thank you so much, Ezra. My pleasure. All right, there you have it. Yasmin Mohammed on No Hijab Day, the answer to World Hijab Day. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue yesterday about Trudeau's plan to monitor political editorials in the next election. Of course, he's not going to read it. He'll have someone do that. He doesn't do a lot of reading. There's more comic books, I think. Norbert writes... Orwell's 1984 is becoming more and more a reality. This sets a very dangerous precedent in Canada. I think so. I think you're right. I think so much of Orwell is coming true through um, big tech, Google, YouTube, Facebook, Amazon. Um, but Justin Trudeau's impatient for them, so he's setting up his own enforcers. Billy writes, as part of their obligation to receive funds, will the mainstream media be required to produce a complete list of everyone who completed courses on how to think? Will the MSM have to fire those that refuse to be re-educated? Where is Shear? Yeah, I haven't seen Andrew Shear on that part. In fact, in the stories I read yesterday in reaction to this announcement, uh, the conservatives said this doesn't go far enough. Now, they weren't speaking in particular about the editorial censorship. They were talking about stopping foreign meddling. Um, I, I did not hear them. Now, maybe I missed it. And if I missed it, please correct me and let me know. But I certainly didn't hear a fuss against this censorship from the conservatives federally. Uh, they've said they're against the media bailout, or at least Michelle Brempel has said that. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, I think that like Jason Kenney, who has not said a word about the prosecution of the rebel by Rachel Notley's hand-picked election commissioner, Jason Kenney and none of his MLAs have said a word. Um, it was pointed out to me by uh, someone else who's being prosecuted by the government. Um, Jason Kenney absolutely intends to keep this law uh, because he expects to be premier in a couple months and he will use it himself. And if you doubt me, then point to me a peep of opposition to it by him. And that's why it's so important to have independent media. I generally support the United Conservative Party. I generally support the Conservative Party of Canada. But we're not owned by them and we're not controlled by them. We take no funds from them. We're not party members. And so when they do things or don't do things that, that are wrong, 
will be one of the few people saying so. I would not want to replace a $595 million bailout fund run by Justin Trudeau with a $595 million bailout fund run by Andrew Scheer. I would not want to replace one with the next. Folks, that is our show for today. We've had an exciting week here at The Rebel. We've had some new talent come aboard yesterday. I told you, oh, sorry, one more letter snuck in. I was about to end the show. Dylan writes on my interview with the newest Rebel, Janice Atkinson, I'm looking forward to Janice's take of the current issues facing us in Europe. Sorry, I'm glad, I'm glad you sent that letter in, Dylan. I was going to go, I was starting to riff about our new talent. Yeah, Janice is great. She's a fighter. As you know, she was elected as a Brexit MP for UKIP in 2014, I think. And uh, in two months, uh, the UK's out of, out of the European Union, so uh, Janice will no longer be a member of the European Parliament, but she's starting work for us right away. I'm very excited about that. We also hired a youngster named uh, Adam, who goes by the nickname Pathetic Millennial. He's pretty funny. I think he's pretty funny. Uh, today, our first video from another youngster here in Ontario named Jessica. Uh, and I'm excited about the topic she's taking on. She's taking on We Day, which is a youth propaganda event uh, all the time across Canada. I'm glad she's taking that on. And on Monday, we will have some news for you about a fourth new rebel. So sometimes people say, hey, what's going on on the, on the talent front? Well, we got a whole bunch of it coming your way. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll see you on Monday. Until then, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom.